Cinephile. Nicholas Cage. Very sincere group of film enthusiasts who are proudly cinephiles. Oh my goodness! Warren Beatty apparently read the wrong name. This is incredible. Moonlight won Best Picture. Cinephile. Ethan Hawke. It's kind of like I'm a professional actor and I direct for love. There's so much in this world that's dividing us, and music is one of those great tools that brings us together. All right. There's baseball and World War II. It's kind of a dream. Cinephile, the Adnan Verk movie podcast. All right, yes. Why wasn't I still recording? That would have been gold. Going to run that as the open. open. Oscar nomination day, always a special day in the Burke household. Thanks, as always, for checking out Cinephile. We're fired up to talk all about the Oscars. Also, recap the Critics' Choice Awards from Max Bredos. Claire Atkins is chiming in. And, of course, our man Ben Lyons. He'll also give his recap, the Critics' Choice Awards and the Golden Globe Awards, and his thoughts on the Oscar nominations. As always, thank you so much for checking us out. The crew back together again. We just got out of a meeting with Louise Carnetta, our boss here on podcast. Much to learn here. First thing that we have learned is that we can never go over an hour again. The numbers drop off significantly. So thank you to all those who listened to Kevin Hart and the writers, uh, Alex Seppenwall, uh, Alan Seppenwall, excuse me, and Matt Zoller-Seitz. It was a very lengthy podcast. We had a lot to do. But we have learned that between 45 minutes and an hour is the sweet spot. So we will never do another podcast over an hour. We know your time is scarce and valuable, and we appreciate it. Good news is, and they literally went, Louise went through all the numbers on this, the, the reviews rate well, the interview is good, and after that we start to taper. So we're going to keep this um, as swiftly moving as possible. And nobody listened to me last time. I asked for iTunes rate and review. I cannot say this enough. Louise taught us. Subscribe, rate, review. Seriously, subscribe, then unsubscribe. Subscribe again because that will help us. And we need as much as we can on Apple Podcasts. In the past, I've said iTunes is Apple Podcasts where you need to subscribe, tell everybody about it, and it's important to get the ratings and reviews. And in the interest of showing why it's important, I will now read a couple of reviews. So here's your incentive now. If you send us a really nice review, a nice rating, I'll read it right at the top of the file out of the gate, including Larry Shoemaker. This is back from December 10th. This is the most recent review since nobody listened to me last time to post a review, but I know you're all going to now. This is from Larry. Fantastic rundown of recent releases. My son, who received his degree in film, agrees with you 100% about Buster Scruggs. So you both saved me a couple hours I can spend watching football. Saints got hosed. Love stands too, and agree he deserves a better intro. As for Password, I'm sure he's a great guy, but I laughed out loud when he reviewed Buster Scruggs and talked about how anthologies of short stories tend to have some that are great, like your reviews, that would be me. Some are good, like Dan's, and some are a waste of time. Oh my God, this is unbelievable. That said, I'm a huge fan of your pod. Trust your judgment as much as any reviewer since Roger Ebert. All right, thank you, Larry. Not sure we need the shot at Passmore. And lastly, from Bone Swag. Love this podcast. Adnan's genuine and honest movie reviews are excellent. I look forward to hearing what he's got to say about the latest movies. Dan has got some excellent input, too. Rick rambles on and on a bit, but overall, an exceptional podcast. All right, so that's, that's enough of that. Thanks so much for the feedback. All right, Passmore's ego just just taking a pummeling. I'm good. Okay, Matthew McConaughey is coming up, all right? Huge, huge star. His new movie is called Serenity. It opens this Friday. Talk to McConaughey about a ton of things, so you want to get to hear from this guy. But Oscar nominations come out today, so here's what we're going to do. To compartmentalize everything, my top five fist pumps, top five snubs, and top three WTFs. Top five fist pumps. Number five, free solo nominated for best documentary. Of course, we had Alex Honnold on Cinefop. If you haven't heard it, make sure you take a listen. Great guy and a crazy person. And he is featured in free solo, which is a really cool documentary. That's up for best doc. Happy to see that. Number four, Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant. Terrific film. I wish it got more recognition, which was up for best picture. It's called Can You Ever Forgive Me? It's also up for screenplay, but thrilled to see Melissa McCarthy. I think it's her best performance. She's up for best actress and thrilled to see Richard E. Grant, a lifelong actor who, as he said, the Critics Choice Awards, I've never been nominated for anything. So he finally gets nominated for best supporting actor. Uh, their chemistry, I think, is outstanding. Number three is Regina King. Loved her performance in If Beale Street Could Talk. She won every major Critics Award, but was snubbed for the SAG. So I was very concerned she was not going to get nominated for supporting actress, but she's nominated. I hope she wins. Uh, good race with her and Amy Adams going head to head. Number two, so thrilled, so thrilled, so thrilled. Paul Schrader is up for best original screenplay for First Reformed. Real concern. He was snubbed by the WGA. That's a Writers Guild of America. So I really thought um, he was in peril. 74 years old, one of the great writer directors of all time, the writer of Taxi Driver, co-writer of Raging Bull, American Gigolo, Autofocus, Affliction, genius. Never been nominated ever for an Oscar. First time ever, as I talked previously on Cinefile, I was worried because he was making a lot of comments, may have hurt <laughs> himself, but great to see Paul nominated. Saw him at the Critics' Choice Awards. 
followed him outside the bathroom. Did not go in the bathroom, waited outside the stall. We talked for a while. I'm just kidding. And number one fist pump, Spike Lee, finally nominated for Best Director. He's never been nominated before, which is outrageous. The director of Do the Right Thing and Malcolm X and Jungle Fever and so many other great films, 25th Hour, Inside Man, you name it. He's finally up for a Best Director for Black Klansman. Thrilled to see that film uh, recognized for Best Picture. Spike's also up for Best Adapted Screenplay, which I think he has a good chance of winning. He's one of three other writers. He's going head-to-head with my boy Barry Jenkins. Also thrilled to see him nominated for Adapted Screenplay. Top five snubs. Number five, Claire Foy and Justin Hurwitz both ignored for First Man. Claire Foy for Supporting Actress and Justin Hurwitz for First Man. Marina de Tavira squeaks in. That's a real surprise for Roma. She, the supporting actress is Amy Adams, Regina King, and the two, Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz from The Favorite. De Tavira is a stunner. I did not think she'd get in, but she's up for supporting actress. The bad news is that means Claire Foy is out for First Man. And Justin Hurwitz, who I saw at the Critics' Choice Awards, I made a beeline for him because I said, I loved you on Ben Lyons' podcast. Always listen to Ben's podcast on Podcast One. It's called Lions Den. Justin was one of the recent guests on Ben's pod. I said, listen, I thought you were great on the pod. And um, I wish the film was getting more recognition. I think years from now, I quoted the Uproxx thing. I said, hey, years from now, people are going to say this is a great film. He's like, oh, thanks for saying that. Uh, Ben's obviously a good dude. And, you know, hopefully, I go, well, you're going to get nominated. Doesn't even get nominated. He won the best score of the Critics' Choice. That's a real um, surprise there. Number four, Won't You Be My Neighbor? I gave it two and a half Maple Leafs. At the time, Andy Katz said it was going to win best documentary. I said, that's ridiculous. Rick Passmore said it could win. Well, now it's not going to win. Didn't even get nominated. I gave it two and a half Maple Leafs. As Passmore said, I'm like the one Grinch on there. It's a good review, but I did not think it was great. But I did think it was a notable snub to not get in one of five nominees. Of the documentaries, Mark Simon's favorite category, I only know Free Soul and RBG have not seen the three others. Although I've heard of Minding the Gap, so that's a real surprise. Mr. Rogers, too nice for the Academy. He is left out in the cold. Number three, biggest snub, my man Barry Jenkins. Not up for Best Director. Disappointing to see. It's a beautiful film. Would have liked to have seen him in there. And if Beale Street could talk, not nominated for Best Picture. I thought there would be nine nominees. I had Beale Street as number nine, did not get nominated, unfortunately. Uh, by the way, if you want to see all my picks, see how I did, go to goldderby.com. Number two, not surprising, but one that personally affects me, Ethan Hawke, not nominated for Best Actor for First Reformed. Being ignored by the Globes is one thing. Once he was ignored by the SAGs, the Screen Actors Guild, real concern. Gold Derby still had him as a pretty good chance because they thought, again, like Regina King, he won all the Critics Awards. He'd won New York Film Critics. He won L.A. Film Critics. They thought he'd sneak in. But thankfully, Denzel's kid did not get in ahead of him, John David Washington. Instead, another cinephile favorite, uh, Willem Dafoe, was nominated for At Attorney's Gate. I do love Willem Dafoe, but I don't think... Um well, to be honest with you, I look at the list now. Bale, I have no issue with. Cooper, Defoe, Malik, Mortensen, of those five, I would have put Ethan Hawke ahead of Rami Malik or ahead of Willem Defoe. So, uh, like I said, I'm disappointed to see it. I don't think Ethan Hawke cares that much, so I probably care more than he does. Whatever. It's a great film. And the number one biggest sub was Bradley Cooper, not nominated for Best Director. This is a true holy cow moment watching it. I was in shock. I was incredulous. I mean, if you'd said to me what nomination is a certainty, I would have thought this would be one of them. Are you kidding? This is a real passion project, a labor of love from a great actor who is universally well-liked in Hollywood. He sent handwritten notes, I believe they're written by him, to all of us as part of the BFCA, Broadcast Film Critics Association. He's been on talk shows. He's charming. I, I was stunned that he's not nominated for director. And the Academy normally loves when actors become first-time directors. Robert Redford for Ordinary People, Kevin Costner for Dance with Wolves, at the very least a nomination. Bradley Cooper not getting nominated by the Directors Guild is a shocker, even more shocking when whom he was omitted for. If you told me Peter Farrelly for Green Book, I'd say okay. If you told me Barry Jenkins for Beale Street, okay. No, he was snuffed for Powell Palakowski for Cold War. Cinephile listeners will remember, I gave that film two Maple Leafs. I said it was gorgeously shot, and I believe it's also up for cinematography. It has to be. It was a really beautiful movie, shot in black and white. The shock that, that Polakowski is nominated is an absolute shocker. That That's one of the biggest shocks I've seen in my life. The fact Bradley Cooper's out, Powell Polakowski is in. Stunner. Top five saw Bradley Cooper not in. However, if you love A Star is Born, this could help him in this respect. When Ben Affleck was famously stuffed for Argo Best Director, that helped that film end up winning Best Picture. Now, I don't think that'll happen for A Star is Born. The biggest concern for A Star is Born, along with the fact the director was not nominated, is the fact it's not up for editing. It's not as much of a hard and fast rule, but generally speaking, if you're not up for editing, if you're not nominated, that's a real concern. So that hurts A Star is Born, and that hurts Roma. Roma is not up for Best Editing. What it does help is a film like Green Book, which is up for editing, but not up for directors. So this is where things get really fascinating once you really want to go into the weeds. And the top three WTFs, 
Number three, Sam Rockwell nominated for Vice. He's a great actor, and I was so happy he won for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. But this is nothing more than an SNL sketch. I mean, he's funny in it, but it's it's a caricature of the president. I did not think it was a notable performance. I would have much rather seen a guy like Steve Carell get nominated for, uh, as Donald Rumsfeld or uh, one of many other nominees that uh, could have been. You know, the one who should have been is Timothee Chalamet. That's a real shock. He's not in for Beautiful Boy, which I thought was an average movie. Uh, but I thought he should have been nominated. Really good actor, really well liked actor. Uh, so he does not get nominated. Rockwell is in. Number two, <laughs> WTF. Coen brothers are as talented as they get, but for God's sakes, how did they get nominated for best original screenplay for the Ballad of Buster Scruggs? I mean, there's just no reason that screenplay should have been up. If it had been at the expense of Schrader, I really would have lost it. Instead, I don't really care that much, but still, those guys should not have been nominated for that. And number one, how in the world is Bohemian Rhapsody up for Best Picture? I mean, listen, it's perfectly acceptable. It's also perfectly disposable. Rami Malek nominated for Best Actor, fine. The fact it's one of eight nominees for Best Picture of the Year, I had a real tough time with. I gave it two and a half Maple Leafs. I thought it was fine. I don't think it's Best Picture uh, quality as well. All right, so that's my recap of the Oscars. Dan Stanzik, the mic is yours. I mean, first reformed, getting <laughs> nothing's great news for me. I'm hearing Roma taking some hits for not being uh, in the best picture race. I mean, it's nominated, but you said it's not nominated for film editing. I always thought best yeah. director was a good indication of once we went from five to at least five and yeah. up to ten. I always thought best director, those five movies were the best indicator of whether or not the film was going to win best picture. I didn't know editing was it, so I'm learning here. Yeah. But the fact that Roma's not in editing is great news for me. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what my number one snub is. First Man, gotta be, right? My favorite movie of the year, it pretty much got nothing. It got like sound editing and sound mixing, and that's about it. I mean, score. Stunning. It's a great score. I can even get a yeah. score nomination. Like, wow. And Foy, again, I Yeah, I, you know, whatever. I but, thought she'd get nominated, but. We knew Gosling wouldn't. It's just, no. much like Ethan Hawke, it's just too subtle a performance. It's not showy enough. Justin Chang wrote a great column. He's an LA film critic. Claire sent me the article. He talked about Ethan Hawke's acting in first reform, and I think it goes doubly for Gosling. They're just, it's not the type of showy performance that will get recognized. But Chazelle not nominated for director, obviously. I mean, screenplay first man did not get nominated. You're right. It's, um, and the, and they the, took a huge hit. My second favorite film of the year, eighth grade. I don't think I got nominated for anything. No, I haven't seen it anyway. I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because that's when you could get annoyed about because original screenplay, I said Scruggs didn't get nominated. That took the eighth grade spot. Oh, so, no. So Bo Burnham got And screwed. you know how I feel about the Cohen brothers. Yeah, exactly. Get them you, already, the hell out of here. you already think they're overrated and they just stole a nomination away from Bo Burnham. That's, um, that's disappointing. Ricky, what do you got? Well, uh, Buster Scruggs was, uh, best adapted screenplay, not original. So if you want to complain about eighth grade being snubbed, look at uh, oh, Green Book or Roma. Yeah, sorry, you're right. Sorry, let's clean this up. So all the right, favorite let's focus is up. all of our anger at Roma. You're right. The fact, that, the fact that Roma is up for screenplay ahead of Ballad of Buster Scruggs. You're right, Ricky. Uh, excuse me. Roma is ahead of eighth grade for best original screenplay is absurd. The other nominees, uh, the favorite, I think, is a good script. First performed, of course, I love Green Book. Yeah, Vice. So I have no issue with that. So Roma is the one we were, we were legitimately furious about that took a nomination away from eighth grade for screenplay. Adapted screenplay, I'm not sure what the Coen Brothers stole, but seriously, this should not be up. Ricky, go ahead. No Halloween nominee, although you didn't have it top yeah, 10. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, Suspiria, did it get nominated for makeup? Zero, so. zero nominations for wow. Suspiria. Um, the, uh, the lead singer of Radiohead famously did the score. Tom York. Tom York did the score. So he's, uh, he's going to be disappointed. He wasn't nominated. Uh, it was a fantastic score. I will give it that. It was, there was fantastic makeup in it. Uh, no nominations for Suspiria, but that's okay. Uh, yeah, won't you be my neighbor? Just left out. I'm get a nomination, right? Like, I'm, come on. I'm appalled. Three identical strangers, too. Three identical strangers snub for documentary. Yeah. yeah, how does that guy? These are the nominees: Free Solo, which is great. RBG, which was all right. Of Fathers and Sons, Mining the Gap. I've heard of it, and I've not even heard of Hale County this morning, this evening. Wow, three identical strangers, and won't you be my neighbor? Both cruelly ignored. Animated feature. Listen, I just can't wait to see Spider-Man win. I was ready to lose my mind if it wasn't. But it's up, as is Ralph Breaks the Internet, Incredibles 2, Isle of Dogs, which I don't think is one of Wes Anderson's best films, and Mirai, which Keith Law loved. Took his daughter to go see it. That's not surprising. Keith Law all over Mirai, which is up for best animated feature. All right, so those are the uh, nominations. As always, tweet us, Cinephile ESPN or add in ESPN. Let me know. We're, we're trying to engage here. We do a good job with that. We were told by Louise. Keep tweeting me. Let me know what you think. And, uh, of course, comments on Instagram as well. Matthew McConaughey is on the way. Also, do not forget Ben Lyons will chime in from the Lions Den. Max Bredos recapping the Critics' Choice Awards. Plus, we got Claire's Corner. Do we have an Everyman or in defense of? We do have an Everyman. Are we doing Claire's Corner? Do I need to get production? Is that? <laughs> did you just name a segment? I thought of it on the fly, but we'll discuss Claire's after. Claire's Corner. Claire's Corner. Perhaps she gets her own segment.
I, am I allowed to give out Claire's last name? Yeah, we do that. I All was right. thinking there's got to be like an Atkins, like an Atkins diet I thing. Kind I, think of. It, I think it's, it that's, too, that's bad. Yeah, All right, yours yeah, is better. Claire's corner. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll ask her, but I think Atkins diet probably gets used a ton. All right, Matthew McConaughey, the man himself. The film is called Serenity. It's in theaters January 25th. A huge get for us here at Cinephiles. We have Matthew McConaughey joining us to talk about his new film. Matthew, before we talk about your wonderful filmography and this film in particular from Stephen Knight, I know you're a huge college football fan. I was there at the Sugar Bowl hosting the pregame, the halftime with Jesse Palmer and Joey Galloway. And sure enough, on the sidelines, there we see McConaughey rooting for the Hook'em Horns. Texas beats Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Sam Ellinger looked great. How pumped are you about the return of Texas? Oh, extremely. You know, we that that was a huge game for us. I mean, we we step out of our conference. We play one of the the heavy dogs in the SEC, and we came out and, and basically ran down the hill on them from the opening kickoff. You know, the, the the team was quietly confident. The Longhorns were. Ellinger, you know, showed how bright of a future he can have and how much he's evolved from last year. Um, it was a, it was an incredible win and a stepping stone on the way to where we're going. Tom Herman definitely is building something special there for your Longhorns. Let's talk about mm-hmm. Serenity. This movie's coming out, like I said, January 25th, and I saw the film and I enjoyed it, and I said, you know what, it's interesting. I wonder, for Matthew, how much of the appeal was this in playing a real Hemingway-esque character? You know, this is a guy who's taciturn. He's a man of action. He's been in the Army. He's obsessive about fishing. That's all he cares about. It's all he wants to do. Doesn't appear to have any friends aside from Jaimon Hunsu, who's his main mate there. Did you see Hemingway when you uh, envisioned this character, when you thought about how you were going to play him? Yeah, this is Moby Dick. This is old um, 40s film noir. This is Humphrey Bogart. These men that are, you know, iconic sort of islands unto themselves. Um, loner, you know, someone that really doesn't pander or placate to anyone else. I'm playing a man who's really escaped to this island in the middle of nowhere and is obsessed with catching this fish because he wants to catch this fish for his son. Well, it's, it's somewhat not a healthy obsession. He's been doing it for 10 years and still only hooked this fish like four or five times. But this is this man's life obsession to the point where he's, you know, partially insane. And then without giving any of the twist away that, that, that happened, it's a man who's a detective in his own life trying to figure out if he's real, if the world he's living in is real, um, and questions all of that. And as I said, goes half mad uh, through the journey of doing it. But it's the kind of movie... That is the first one I want to see when I go to a theater. I like a good erotic sexual thriller, a whodunit, a mystery, somewhat of a horror film at the same time. And I like a film that manipulates you and teases you with what, what's coming, but you don't know what's coming until it gets there. And when it does, you know, you go, son of a, you know what? I didn't see that coming, but damn, that was enjoyable. Yeah, you mentioned the eroticism. you got Diane Lane in the film. You've got Anne Hathaway, who's playing your ex-wife. And for all the ladies listening, Matthew does show his bare butt. 26-minute mark and the 56-minute mark. So listen, we got it all here, man. 56. <laughs> I, I want, I want Thank to make you. Sh- I did not have those time codes now. <laughs> I want people to specifically know, no, don't go get popcorn. 26-minute mark, 56. Matthew's showing you the full Monty. <laughs> Well, I caught the full mile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. But we get you, I get your point, I get yeah, your point. No question. Listen, Stephen Knight wrote and directed uh, Locke, which is a really good movie. He also wrote Eastern Promises, which I love, of course, Cronenberg's film with Viggo Mortensen. Really good dialogue, Matthew, throughout the film. Early on, there's an exchange with you on Diane Lane. You know, she refers to you as a hooker, and you say, a hooker without any money for hooks, which works on multiple levels, of course, because the guy's a fisherman. What was it about Knight's script, or what was he like when you were working with him on set? Well, it's his brain behind this whole thing. Incredible writer. And if you've seen Locke, you see, you see what he can do as a director as well. Um, you know, he, he's created this, this fictitious world that is sort of like a utopia in some sense, uh, sort of a, fa- a fantasy. Man fishes, wakes up, goes fishing in the morning, <laughs> comes back, goes and sees his, uh, his lady friend, when he gets home from fishing, goes by the bar, has two two rums, and goes home and goes to sleep and gets up and does it all again. As Stephen Knight says, it's sort of a it's a world where you can smoke cigarettes and they're good for you. Um, <laughs> anyway, he created this world and uh, and the language, as you said, you know, I'm a fisherman, yeah, a hooker with no hooks. He 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 has a, a sleight of hand in the way that he writes. One of the, one of the, uh, the lines in the screen direction introducing my character 
was like Baker Dill lights a cigarette and then in his one-handed way. Now that's just like a, almost like a song lyric. His, his, his dialogue is very lyrical. And if you say just that line, lights a cigarette in his one-handed way, that doesn't tell you how he lights a cigarette, but you know exactly how that guy lights a cigarette. This is a lot about that guy. Dialogue was great. He's incredibly smart, sensitive, listens to great ideas. You've got a great idea you're convicted of. He's ready to go with it. Um, so it was free, it was creative, and it was uh, fun to go to work every day. We're talking to Matthew McConaughey. He is the star of the new film called Serenity in theaters January 25th. You mentioned being fun to go to work. First ever uh, motion picture, at least a Hollywood motion picture, is shot in Mauritius. I guess the yep. Bollywood movies have been there. It's a fictional Plymouth Island. But, man, you talk about setting being a character. You mentioned it's a noirish thriller. So anytime with noir, of course, the setting is a part of it. But much like the way um, Wild Things was like a noir with that setting, man, it looked like it's a ton of fun just to be in Mauritius, man. Go fish it. Well, Marisha, you look at it, and people, some people are going to go, oh, is that Hawaii? Oh, is that the Bahamas? Oh, is that part of the Caribbean? No, it's not. It is the first Hollywood movie in Mauritius. Mauritius is a little island um, 1,500 miles east of Cape Town off the coast of South Africa. It, it looks like it's stuck in the middle of time either 500 years from now or 500 years ago. And it was only the, one of the interesting things about it is, is it wasn't inhabited until about just under 400 years ago. But it's idyllic. It almost doesn't look real. And the light is different than any other place, tropical place I've been to as well. So that was a, you know, part of the great thing about my job is I get to go to these places I would never go or never be able to go anyway. And I go there and I get paid for it to do my job. This was a special spot on the planet that not many people have had. And now we're going to share it through the film. Yeah, it looks awesome. And I can just imagine the tourism going up after seeing this movie. Once again, Serenity in theaters January 25th. If I, you may indulge you, Matthew, just a, a few thoughts on some other films I love of yours. Wolf of Wall Street is so brilliant, and your character is so magnetic. And I know you've told the story before about that the ritual, which became kind of a theme of the music, which is you pounding on your chest. That's like a warm-up exercise you were doing as an actor, and then Marty saw you doing it, and Leo said, we got to put that in the film. Is that right? Yeah, to warm up, to, you know, just to relax. You know, I find a rhythm for my character in every scene that I do, and that was a rhythm I was doing before that scene. And then we'd say action, and I'd stop doing it, and I'd start the scene. So we do five or six takes. We have the scene. We're moving on. And it was Leonardo's idea. He goes, hey, McConaughey, what's that thing you're doing right before the scene and when you're beating on your chest? And I told him, and he goes, oh, man, do that in the scene. So we looked over and said, hey, leave the cameras where they are. Let's do one more take. And I did it, and that's the take that's in the film. That's fantastic. I, I asked Mark Wahlberg once, I said, tell me something about Scorsese I don't know. I said, obviously, I adore his films. I know he's a cinephile. I know he's a film junkie. And he goes, you know what? What do you mean you wouldn't know about Marty? He goes, he's, he's hysterically funny, and he's got a really dark sense of humor. He goes, he laughs at a lot of stuff. What what can you tell me about Scorsese that I wouldn't know? Well, I'll back that up. The man loves funny. I mean, he loves funny. Number two, he's obviously very musical, which I think is why he enjoyed and picked up on the thing that I was doing when I was pounding my chest, humming my beat. Um, he didn't even, he and I didn't even talk much English in his direction to me. We were always talking in musical terms. Even when he would talk about how he was going to set up a shot, he's, he's setting up a shot like, you know, like he's playing a musical bass line, you know, and, 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 and the camera will be here, and the boom, 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 and then right here, boom, 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 and then it's right in your face, boom. And so he's always talking in rhythms, <laughs> And, and a musical uh, vernacular, which I quite enjoyed. Um, so, yeah, his love of music, the rhythm of every scene, he sees it musically, I believe, and feels it musically, and then his love of funny. That's fantastic. And speaking of great directors, Christopher Nolan, you worked with in Interstellar. I don't think that movie gets enough due, Matthew. I think too many people maybe found it enigmatic or didn't understand it. My whole view is you ride the wave, man. You go with the journey. You experience this different universe, and those that love the film appreciate that. Tell me about Nolan. He must be, I can imagine being very cerebral, but what is he like? Well, there's another guy who, yes, yeah, cerebral, sure. I mean, he, look, at, look at the world he created out of his imagination in Interstellar and even in his other films. Um, he, he, he's come up with that. That's, that's you know fiction he's created that world he's created the rules of the world in interstellar you know unlike the dark nights there is no previous material to come up with that world or that journey um that we had in interstellar um but here's another guy with a great sense of humor um you know with, with all the with, with wonderful talented artists and the best i've been able to work with i'm always looking for trying to uncover 
that person's magic trick. And what I've learned is that there is no magic trick. <laughs> <laughs> there really isn't a magic trick. They have people have specific points of view and they have the confidence and the competence to follow through on those. And if it's in film, they have the competent confidence and competence to follow through on that vision through moving pictures and sound that come to life and make you feel like you're there, make you feel like it's not fiction. Um, Nolan, you know, the first one up the hill and the last one down the hill every day. You're not going to outwork the guy. And um, at the same time, when I say he loves funny, I would ask him certain questions about, wait a minute, explain this. And he'd be like, hmm, good question. I don't know. And we just laughed because he was was like, but but thank you for asking me the question. I'm going to think about that. And two weeks later, he'd come back to me and go, you know what? I thought about that question you asked me. And he'd come up and give me a long answer, which was great. That's awesome. When a guy's actually paying that much attention to you. I know you're being humble in terms of saying, where's the magic? But let me tell you something. For a guy who's made so many great films, and I could ask you about Dallas Buyers Club, you won the Oscar, True Detective, you're a brilliant, but there's a movie of yours I think is underappreciated, and I thought you were fantastic in it. It was pre-McConaughey's you know, McConaughey's stardom with A Time to Kill, and that's the film Lone Star. I love that movie. I love John Sales' script. I think there's shades of Chinatown with how well it's written, and you're great in that movie. What me- I know it's been a while now, 95, but what memories do you have of Lone Star? I think that's a brilliant, brilliant movie. Well, yeah, Sales did a wonderful job with that, and he's a great writer. One thing I remember is we were down, I think, around Piedras Negras in a little town um, just just north of the Mexican border in uh, South Texas, I believe. And um, the next day we had that scene where it's Christopherson and I, and he plays the sheriff, and I'm Buddy Deeds, right? Yeah. And Christopherson hadn't, you know, acting was not his day job. Music was his day job. And we were staying in this little, you know, one-star motel in the middle of nowhere that had you know, one lamp that was lit by batteries and um, all ground floor levels. And uh, I remember going to him. I was nervous, and you know, as I usually am before going to work. And I remember going over to him, and, and I said, hey, you want to read through the scene with me? He was like, yeah. Um, and so what we read through it, and then I remember we, we switched lines. We switched parts, and I read his part, and he read my part, um, which leads me to more Christopherson stories, which are great, by the way. Um, and I'm going to fit one in here. You ever heard of this book called The Greatest Salesman in the World? I have, yeah. It's a book that really helped change my life, and I was reading it at that time, and I was in a little uh, cantina that sees about five people, about five in the afternoon, and I'm having a beer, and I'm reading that book, and in walks Christopherson. And this is actually the day we met, and he goes, hey there, Matthew, what are you reading? And I said, hey, I'm reading this book. Uh, it's kind of a self-help, self-improvement book called The Greatest Salesman in the World. He goes, oh, yeah, what's it? What's it about? And I go, well, like this chapter I'm on right now, it's about, you know, persistence and, 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 and letting your, 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 your reach exceed your grasp. And he goes, yeah, it sounds good. Tell me more. And I said, well, like, look at this line here. This one line says, I would rather throw my spear at the moon and hit an eagle than to throw my spear at an eagle and hit a rock. And Christopherson looks at me, then he looks down at the bar in front of him. It's a wooden bar. He starts digging his fingernail into the bar, and he's getting pretty perturbed and ticked off. And after about 10 seconds, he looks up at me, and he goes, well, why in the hell would you want to kill an eagle? <laughs> I said, I don't want to kill an eagle, Chris. It's nothing to do with killing an eagle. It's just so it's a phrase of speech if you reach exceeding your grasp. Anyway, that was one of the funniest first moments I ever had with Chris Dobson. Oh, that's and, um And I remind him of that story all the time. <laughs> the, the metaphor was clearly lost in him, but he is a true original, as are you. Matthew McConaughey, he's had an incredible career. His new film is called Serenity. It's in theaters January 25th. And a personal note, Matthew, Scott Van Pelt, Robert Silla, good buddies of mine. I used to always fill in on the show. They, they still rave about the time when you called in. They always appreciate you clearly were a listener of the show and a supporter of the show. And like I said, I know you're a genuine sports fan and a big fan of Texas. So hook him and all the best with the movie and uh, all the best with everything else. Deal. Appreciate it. Hook him horns. Let's have a good weekend of NFL football this weekend. Geico presents oh, yet another voicemail from your roommate. Hi. So about the kitchen. Turns out when there's a grease fire, you're not supposed to throw water on it. <laughs> Who would have known, right? Anyways, the fire department is here, and it's totally cool. Give me a call back when you get a chance. 
The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. A Hollywood career spanning decades. And the tales of Tinseltown are told here. Inside the Lion's Den with Ben Lyons. All right, time now for the Lions Den. My man, Ben Lyons, as always, check out Lions Den on Podcast One. You can follow him on Twitter. I am Ben Lyons. Also, follow him on Instagram. He is the only reason I was at the Critics' Choice Awards because he's the best, and I owe him a pound of flesh. Ben, how are we doing today? Oh, man, I'm doing great. Good morning from sunny Los Angeles, uh, about 68 degrees here on the beach. Um, but life is beautiful. Life is good. It's Oscar day. Huh? Oscar nominations out. I'm on the phone with you. I loved, I loved your poll yesterday. Twitter poll, bigger deal, baseball hall of fame announcement or, uh, Oscar nominations. So I was invested in both of those. I gave well, earlier. I got the call from Stanzik just now and I'm like, Oh, is everybody buzzing about shilling? Everybody's buzzing. <laughs> huh? We'll do our baseball recap pod later on, but I gave my top five fist pumps, top five snubs and three WTFs. Your reaction to the Oscars. What made you happy and what made you furious? Oh, man, where do we begin? Well, very happy to see Spike Lee, obviously, nominated. It's been uh, an incredible career in cinema. Uh, He doesn't make movies, he makes cinema. And I think that him getting a nomination, Black Klansman getting six nominations, uh, was something I was excited about this morning. That said, the only acting performance is from a white guy in the movie that's nominated. So there we go. Um, (laughs) Driver. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, very happy, obviously, for Spike. Happy for free solo, too. As you know, my wife Mariah's brother is a climber, and he's climbed that mountain. He did it with ropes, though, so I guess he's a fraidy cat. Um, but So happy for that documentary, happy for RBG. But a lot of snubs, and the things that people forget about snubs is it's not just about somebody on the outside looking in. It's about who you would replace on the inside and put them on the outside. So you can't just say, oh, yeah, well, Bradley Cooper should have been nominated. Well, then who are you taking off that list? I remember in 2015 when Bradley Cooper was nominated for American Sniper and a lot of people were were saying Oscar's so white that year and calling for David Oyelowo for Selma to be nominated. You're like, well, well, who do you take off the list? Do you take off Benedict Cumberbatch? Do you take off Eddie Redmayne? This year, Bradley Cooper nominated. Who do you take off the list for Best Director? I don't know. It's a tough tough year. I would have taken off Polakowski myself, Ben. I thought it was a beautifully shot film. I'm glad it's up for cinematography. It's also up for foreign film. But I don't think, uh, as a director, I would have put him ahead of Bradley Cooper myself. Where's Ryan Coogler on that list? The film's getting nominated for production design, for sound, for all these different technical categories. Best Picture, Ryan Coogler could have gotten a nomination. So there's always going to be people on the outside looking in. But I like to try to celebrate the people on the inside, and for Spike Lee to get nominated today was was very cool. And in the screenplay category as well. Yeah, which I think he's got a good chance of winning, Ben. Adapted screenplay is Scruggs, which I thought was terrible, uh, Coen Brothers. Black Clansman, Spike's one of four writers. Can You Ever Forgive Me, which is a great script. Nicole Hall of Center, Jeff Witte. If Bill Street could stock, my, my boy Barry Jenkins, good chance. And then Star is Born, Eric Roth, Bradley Cooper, Will Fetter. So I think Spike's got a good chance of winning an Oscar. Amazing how in two years it's become my boy, Barry Jenkins, my friend, Barry Jenkins. Look at you now, a BFCA card-carrying member, and you're rubbing shoulders with everybody. Look at this guy. Unbelievable. We've created a monster. So now we get to the critics' choice. So again, for those who think, oh my God, it's and, and I'm starting to get offended, by the way. Like Somebody wrote on my Instagram, like, oh, you have such a cool job. I'm like, no, it's not a job. Uh, I'm paying my own way. It's Southwest Middle Seat. I stayed at the LAX airport, which is the budget in, and it's all Ben Lyons that did this. Ben Lyons, in the summer, I said to him, I cannot keep up with these movies. About to have our fourth child. Like, I just can't do it. And he goes, no problem. I'll get you in the Broadcast Film Critics Association. I'm like, how do you do this? You pay 100 bucks. I got in. It's all because of you. And not only did I get all these screeners, which saved me thousands of dollars, and I get gifts. I've got like LPs here. Like I just got Ben. I just got the Justin Hurwitz score. Like it didn't even get nominated. I think it's great. And I, of course, I got to go to the award show, which you had said to me, "Listen, do it. Have a good time, dude." It was a blast. I couldn't believe we're actually inside. The Oscars is so cool. We've done. But, you know, we're backstage. No, no, we're at the table. And I get table one, and I say to Max Bredos by plus one, either this is a great table or the worst table. It was pretty good. was there with the crew from Annapurna Pictures. But where is my boy Ben Lines? Anybody, anybody who questions what a big deal Ben is, he was at the table with Christian Bale and Amy Adams, the crew from Vice. Tell me about your night at the Critics' Choice. Oh, we we had a blast. Um, it was funny because I was there four months earlier for the NBA Awards and sitting at my table that night was Gucci Mane. So a very different, 
very different dinner on Sunday at the Critics' Choice. But unlike you, I had to schlep across country and stay in random hotels. It's not a nine-minute Uber ride from my house. Nine minutes in a lift. Got about nine Delta points on lift for that. But yeah, to sit with Christian Bale, who's actually surprisingly like outgoing and in a good mood, and you've heard only tough things about Bale, and you know he's a tough actor. And I haven't. I mean, I interviewed him maybe for Public Enemies a couple of years. He doesn't know me from all. Could not have been nicer. His wife, very sweet as well. And Amy Adams, her husband, sat next to us. He's a really cool guy. She bought him a ring that looked like a Jason Momoa Aquaman ring because he <laughs> thinks, like, Aquaman's cool. So he was wearing his, like, Jen. Of course, Mariah, like, knew the cut of stone on his ring and, like, the whole thing, you know? Um, but it was great. And it's great when you go to, to a table, one of those things, and people win. You know, everybody stands up and cheers. And it's great to see Jeremy Kleiner, who went to Dalton in New York City a few years older than me. He's a producer for Plan B, and he's at my table, and he's doing awesome in Hollywood right now. He produced If Beale Street Could Talk and Vice, so he's sitting in between both tables. It's pretty baller. And it was great, man. It was. It's, it, I think the Critics' Choice do a better job than the Globes do at prognosticating Oscar. If you're trying to look at who's going to win from the nominations we heard this morning, Look to the critics' choice, Glenn Close and Lady Gaga. That's your race for Best Actress. You know, I think sometimes the Globes can be all over the place with the nominations, with some of the awards they give out. Like, I don't think Bohemian Rhapsody is going to win Best Picture. So <laughs> I think I, I think the critics is a much better prognosticator. And that, that's thanks to having smart cinephiles like you now as part of the, the voting body. So they're, they're, listen, you know, just enjoy that Roma pillow you got sent. Hold yes. it tight. I do have, and, uh, and we'll and see you again next year. I love the frame poster of Roma that we got as well. Like, I, I, my cousin is a huge Roma fan. He lives in Saskatchewan. It's going to cost me like seventy five dollars to ship that to him. But it was, a, it's a beautiful poster from Roma. Shout out sitting in the sitting in the back of my car right now. Yesterday at the golf course, <laughs> Cheeto looked at it and was like, "Can I have that?" I was like, "No, your wife will not want a Roma poster in the house." So. Yeah, they send you all this wild stuff. I wish it was something that changed uh, with the, the the whole process because it does become a little bit like a middle school middle school like popularity contest for student council. Like, who's going to win? <laughs> um, I also want to give a shout out to your buddy Josh Horowitz, who's a great dude. We all had dinner after the show. His podcast is called Happy, Sad, Confused. I asked him over dinner because he said he'd listen to the Kevin Hart one. So I said, I'd be remiss. I did not follow up. His Michael Shannon interview is tremendous. So check out Happy Sack Confused. Subscribe. And Horowitz defended me with the fact that, listen, I accosted Paul Schrader. I literally followed the man to the bathroom. And he goes, are you kidding? He goes, Paul Schrader is thrilled that you did that. How many people are running up to Paul Schrader? You probably were, you were, you were ecstatic with glee. You made Paul Schrader's night, man. Are you kidding? So true, man. Somewhere, you know, in an alternate universe, you know how like at the end of Men in Black when they zoom up from Times Square and there's the alien holding the the marbles and Earth is just a marble in another sack and there's 10,000 other marbles out there. Somewhere in one of those marbled universes, there's a world where first reformed and Ethan Hawke and Maggie Gyllenhaal and kindergarten teacher are both nominated. They're both winning in our alternate universe. They're getting up on that Oscar stage. Yeah, it, listen, man, going up to people because you're a fan of their work, especially someone like that who is not being accosted on the red carpet. Thank you. Uh, I think is always appropriate, man. I think, I think you know, wait till they get out of the bathroom. I think they did a good <laughs> job of not going into the restroom to shake his hand. So, uh, yeah, I think it's totally cool. The only and Josh that... is great. Josh yeah. is great. His podcast is fantastic. He's been doing this for so long, you know, and he's so smart and funny, and I'm glad you guys could start to connect a little bit more than when you were sleeping on top of him on Sundays. Yeah, I mean, thankfully this time I saw him and I was not deathly ill, so it was a much more pleasant experience for both of us. I also wanted to point out at the Critics' Choice Awards, the only real rule is you can't take any pictures. I mean, that's where it gets offensive. But to your point, you just go up and tell somebody you like their work. Uh, it sounds like we're being played off by the music. Before we go, I want... <laughs> no, no. I, I want, it's listen, a busy morning here in Venice, Adnan. You're, you know? you're, you're going to be back in a couple weeks. We're going to do Oscars if we pick the winner. So what should win, yes. what will win. But I want you to give us a Sundance 2019 preview. Oh, man, I'm excited, first off, to see my buddy Shia LaBeouf's, not directorial debut, but his screenplay writing debut. He wrote a screenplay loosely based on his life called Honey Boy. Lucas Hedges plays sort of a version of him, and Shia plays a version of his dad. And Shia grew up in Northern California, the son of an ex-clown and, and, and drug dealer. So his life is crazy. So I'm so excited to see Honey Boy. Um, excited to see the latest from Julianne Moore and Michelle Williams. That kicks things off on Thursday night. Um, you know how it goes, man. You just look at the schedule and you see what's what's playing. I've already seen a bunch of docs. I saw Maiden, 
true story documentary about a woman who sailed around the world. The first woman to lead a crew of women to sail around the world. That's from Sony Classics. Saw so Apollo 11, which is the better version of First Man. It's the documentary, and it's not done with talking heads looking back in history. It's all done in real time, but from back in 1969. It's incredibly shot. I don't know where they found this footage or how they enhanced it, but Apollo 11, be sure to check that out soon from Neon. And I'm just excited, man, that I don't have to sit through like a Sunday at Sundance this year of everybody pretending to be an Eagles fan when all you guys are just a bunch of horse manure eating, like, <laughs> entitled, like, spoiled at quarterback, you know, fair-weather fans. Listen, so, you, you've had a lifetime of cheering for the Rams, so great to see them in the Super Bowl. I know how painful it's been oh, to a Rams fan. so many fan. moments. Just finally, yeah. generations and yeah. generations of Rams fans, you know? <laughs> By the way, all the history, I, permission Danny, to start. All the Danny Trejo tacos we've had to eat. I had know? Trejo's tacos, LAX. By the way, fantastic tacos. Pretty good. Yeah, I'd, pretty I'd, good. I'd like to get good. a screen. I permission to screenshot the text that we send back and forth. The text you sent the other day. I saw this great documentary about a woman sailing to Ice Lake. Seriously, this this. I, and I wrote back. No one likes an esoteric doc more than Ben Lines. <laughs> so true, man. Hey, speaking of docs, how about Mister Rogers getting snubbed? What's that about? That is the most. It's just that everyone loved it, and there's no there there. Is it's, that it, what it is? It's too nice. You know, I know this. The document they want angry, they want furious, they want you know investigative docs. They do not want fun and sweet. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So uh, yeah, I guess the story of uh, of Mrs. Verk and how she lived in a house with five boys. It's like kind of like that <laughs> show, like The Wolves or whatever that documentary from a few years ago. <laughs> Yeah, Eamon's doc coming soon. We're trying to get uh, some money to get. So that's why I was sitting Eamon with... survived living with five verbs. Yeah, yeah. They made a doc about her. That's why I was she's at... nominated at the Oscar. That's why I was at the table with Annapurna Pictures. Like, I got a great idea for a doc. It's about my wife. We'll, we'll, we'll talk. Ben Lines, check out Lions Den Podcast One. He's on Twitter. I am Ben Lines. His Instagram as well. We will be back on Cinephile next time to do an Oscars preview. Until then, enjoy Sundance and have fun bunking with Richard Schiff. Yes, Toby from the West Wing is going to be hanging out. He's got a film, Currency, with Viola Davis. He's going to be uh, sharing sharing the condo and taking your spot. I don't know if he's an, a top bunk guy or a bottom oh, bunk guy, but we'll find out. That, no, thanks, Ben. Go Rams. <laughs> All right, so the Critics' Choice Awards took place on Sunday. I schlepped out there southwest, got a nice budget hotel by LAX, and my plus one was my boy, Max Bredos, who uh, cinephile listeners know is as engaging and charismatic and as likable guys you'll meet. He loves movies, as do I. And I knew he would be a perfect companion to um, just fire through the Hollywood establishment. Max, kind of join us right now. And by the way, help out Max as well and check out his podcast, Max and Herc. It's terrific. It's available on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe now. Max, I want you to oh, take yeah. us. Through, I want you to take us through the adventures of the Critics' Choice Awards. Oh, well, look, as, as, it, as it got closer to the evening, the excitement certainly started to churn. And then my wife got into it, too. So uh, I, I was walking out with my uh, pseudo tuxedo kind of, you know, pieced it together with shirts and whatever and what have you. And then she started fixing my shoes and that. I go, big award show. So I was very excited. So I, I got out there. No problems. Got right in. You were there waiting for me. Walked into the hangar there at Santa Monica Airport and to my eyes, saw all these celebrities. It was really cool. But uh, unfortunately, that very moment, the Eagles-Saints um, game was kind of wrapping up, so I had it on my phone. And you were still on the clock interviewing celebrities. So you parted ways, and I went there. And I was kind of, at the beginning, very antisocial, watching the, watching the game. And then lo and behold, as I'm watching, I feel like little heads coming over my shoulder. I get some people a little bit fatigued by the, the tragically hip Hollywood uh, scene, and they wanted to watch the football game. And I started thinking, I go, what happened with Bradley? What would Bradley Cooper do? But he was there. He skipped the game to go to the Critics' Choice Awards. So there's, there's commitment. Arts over sports wins again. And then, uh, and then I started to schmooze a little bit. Uh, most notably, I ran into actor uh, uh, Michael Beasley, who uh, I think he's currently in Escape from Danamora. And he was also in uh, Eastbound and Down. So he's comedic. And he's also, he could be a very dramatic actor as well. Spoke to him for about 30 minutes because his son, Malik, see, I was finding a sports angle with everything. So Malik Beasley was his son. He plays for the Denver Nuggets, went to Florida State, and he told me why he sent his kid to Florida State. He was a one and done. And he goes, I wanted my kid to go to Florida State so he would play against the best. He goes, I don't understand why these guys at Duke 
and Kentucky all congregate and play alongside each other, they should want to play against each other for the one year. And I go, yes, enjoy the evening. Saints are up 16 to 10. Blah. So we move on. And then you finally join me at that point. And we're, uh, we finally hit uh, the ballroom. I, I, I sized it up pretty well. And that, that, that felt a little creepy. Well, I don't here, know about you, Adnan. Here, here's the key. We, is that, we were scoping where people were sitting, and we were, we were cataloging numbers of tables, and I was like, that was a bit Well, I knew we were a bit pointed. When I gave you your ticket, I said we're at table one, which either means we have an outstanding table or a terrible table. And you go, I think it's the lo- former. And I said, no, no, we were right at the front. Now, the best tables have now learned are like tables four, five, six, 10, 11, 12, because they're right in the middle yeah. by the stage. And our boy Ben Lyons was at table four, which is the vice table. Barry Jenkins is at table three. So me and Max are like the farthest to the right, but we're right at the front of the stage with the people from Annapurna Pictures who did uh, Beale Street. And it's very strategic yeah. how they did that because they said, no, we're aware of your relationship with Barry. We're aware that you've supported our films. I reviewed the film Destroyer with Nicole Kidman. And they knew, they, they, Ben asked, because how am I at the table? Christian Bell and Amy Adams, they said, we're aware that you said Vice was the best picture of the year. It was Ben's favorite. So he was strategically wow. up. So listen, next year I'm going to say The Irishman is the greatest film since Citizen Kane. And I'm going to be at the same table with Marty and Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. Be unbelievable. <laughs> I don't think that's good. I think that'll come pretty organically from you. I mean, you might as well put your review in now for the Irishman, quite <laughs> frankly, without sight unseen, because you know what it's going to be. It could be his worst work ever, and you'd be like, "This was, this changed my life. This is the greatest movie ever made." How but about, uh, yeah, how about I, we go, we I go over to very po- go ahead. Yes, that's very point is what you said, because I just saw Vice. I wasn't as crazy about Vice, but all of a sudden, Vice became my favorite movie when I sat at that table. I'm like, oh, yes, yay, performance, yay. <laughs> so I carried on. But look, there is not a bad table in that room. If you're in the room, and I got to say, Ben did a great job sorting it out for you. If you're sitting at a table in that room, uh, it's, you've done well. You're supposed to be there, and that's pretty cool. And I would say about Adnan, which is great, is like, he walks around and, and people know. And I, I really creeped on him at one point because he went over to Mahershala Ali and he had a, a 10 minute conversation. There was an embrace. He knew who you were. It was like he picked up a conversation he finished with you from the last time. And the same with Barry Jenkins, who pitched a show idea right out of the jump, which I think you should probably pursue at this point. How happy was uh, Barry Jenkins to see me? Seriously, how, seriously, how happy was Barry Jenkins to see me? He was, he was like, no, you walked up. Hey, Barry, he goes, hey, I got, a, I got an idea for you kind of like around the horn, yeah. but movie makers are talking about it. And then uh, he, he introduced me, you know, and he said I was from Florida State, and he, he gave me that information that we have to be remain tight-lipped about, and uh, <laughs> that was pretty interesting. So. Yeah, it is funny the same thing. Uh, we also, Charlize Theron was there. Um, I followed Paul Schrader to the bathroom. Um, yes. Vigo Mortensen. Charlize, hey. Theron, Charlize Theron wasn't as – I thought it'd, I'd be a little more warm with my, my interaction with her, but it is what it is. It is what it is. Um, Vigo, you were great with, though. Tell tell us uh, what you did to Vigo, because you went over to him, and I said, what's the in? And you had a great in with Vigo. Isn't we, were, we were strategizing about what's the in here. What was going to be our in with Ted Danson? Oh, that uh, you loved Becker. <laughs> I don't know. Don't use that one. I'm the I'm only guy that's like, hey, dude, Becker's underrated. He's like, what? I'm Sam Malone. <laughs> like, I'm a Kirby enthusiast. Becker, I met somebody that he goes, Becker oh, the- is properly rated. It's not a- <laughs> no, that's a great underrated show. He plays a misanthrope. It was a precursor to Kirby enthusiasm. Becker's underrated. <laughs> fine, fine. Whatever you say. What'd you say All to right, Vigo? So the story, the Vigo Mortensen, the first thing I did in this industry is I did Argentine soccer in English. And you know, they have this thing called the, the, the big, the Clásico del Domingo, the Classic on Sunday. And it would have one of the big teams from Argentina playing against each other. And one day, this team, San Lorenzo, uh, was playing. And they were right at the top of the standings. And they panned to the crowd. And I see Vigo Mortensen with a San Lorenzo shirt. And I was like, it's Vigo Mortensen. And then they interview him. And he speaks perfect Argentine Spanish. So I do some homework. He grew up there. And, I mean, that's probably where he was so good for Carlitos Way. Look at me, Carlitos! Look at me! I, I can't play. I can't clap! You know, so I go, he has, he's, a, he's definitely a Latino. From our, so I told him, I go, hey, in Spanish, Vigo, I just want to introduce myself. Uh, many years ago, I was, watch, I was broadcasting a San Lorenzo game, and you were there. And I just want to say it was really cool to see you because see that connection. And then he points to his tie and his uh, pocket square, and it's the San Lorenzo colors. So he actually wore that for that game. So it turned out to be very appropriate that I would walk up to him and mention that. So he's still that's his that's his team. That's 
that if there was San Lorenzo playing, I would wonder if he would be at the Critics' Choice Awards on time or he wanted to watch the end of that. Yeah, but uh, that was pretty cool. It yeah. was just so brief because we had to t- we had to time it in between commercials, and the guy's going, "Get to your seat, thirty seconds." I'm like, "Vito, Vito, fifteen seconds, please get to your seat." <laughs> you in the middle with a really bad jacket, get to your chair. You're in the line of the cameras. So, uh, Max is not exaggerating. You have a two minute commercial break. We just run and to get to the table takes forty five seconds. You'd have and then they're talking to somebody. We'd have like Bob Odenkirk. I love Bob Odenkirk. I walk by. I go, I gotta yeah. say hi to Odenkirk. He's putting eye drops in Max just for God's sake. Please don't interrupt him. I go, I'll wait till the eye drops are in. Then I went up to him, I'm like, hey, Bob yeah. Odenkirk, love better call slides. I go, oh thank you, man. I go, more importantly, love the Larry Sanders show. I go, you're unbelievable. It's Stevie right. the agent. He goes, Oh, thanks, man, appreciate it. And that's it. Like that's that's your ten seconds with Bob Odenkirk, and then away you go. Diego Luna was great with you. You were speaking Spanish to he might come yeah. to an LAFC game. I gave him my car, and I go, look, this is, I'm, this is, I'm not soliciting anything. If you want to come to the LAFC game, drop me an email here, and I'll sort it all out. I haven't heard from him yet. so I, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'll keep <laughs> pressing for him at some point. But, yeah, and you, you, your etiquette was great. You waited for the eye drops to go in. You waited for Schrader to finish whatever he was doing in the bathroom before putting a full-court press on him. I mean, it was like the Kentucky full-court press. It was like Calipari in between commercial breaks, told us to just crush crush the celebrities defensively. And we're like, come on, come on, come on. Half court, half court press. It was, a, it, was a, it was a wee bit embarrassing, but it was a lot of fun. And then we did the full court press on the entire crew of uh, Better Call Saul, right, which so, was uh, yeah. our, our final act. Yeah, so I just want to quickly say about Schrader, what I said to him was, hey, I interviewed you when you were on a train back in May for my podcast, and I said, we got cut off, and you still call back. I just want to thank you. I really appreciate it. And he goes, oh, was it the Amtrak? And I'm like, well, how would I know what train you're on? But I realized I was at fault because <laughs> because because I said I interviewed you on a train, so he just assumed we were on the train together. So it's my fault. I'm like, oh, I was on Amtrak. You're going to like Baltimore or something. No, but he was, and I said, listen, and then he I, said, thank you, thanks for letting me complete my my empty my my I'm 74 years old. Thanks for not following me into the stall. And I said, I love yeah. First Reformed. And he goes, oh, thanks so much. It really means a lot to me. And then the capper was relieving the end of the night. And I, by the way. The show ends. I saw Barry, Barry Jenkins, the former running back. I saw Barry Jenkins dart past me. He couldn't wait to get out of there. When the show is over, yeah. they are beelining. But there was one moment, which was the most memorable moment for us. Pick up the story. As we're walking out, somebody yells out, hey, Adnan. Hey, Max. So uh, this gentleman, and I saw him earlier walk by, and I, I saw him when we walked by. He looked at us and did a double take. He said he recognized us. He must. And then, sure enough, when he came back, he goes, dude, I love you guys. I want sports dinner all the time. He goes, um, could you do something for me on camera for my kids and just do a little sports center no, 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 or whatever? I su- no, no, I suggested it. He said, I'm a big fan. Oh, I, and I go, what are your kids' names? And oh, it's Gray sorry, and McLean. Yeah, so right away, I was like, oh, let me do Gray it. And, and, and then he goes, here's my wife, and it's Rhea Seahorn of Better Call Saul. Yeah, well, I, so I lit still, up. I'm like, oh, my God, it's Rhea Seahorn. That's your wife? Like, Kim Wexler's your wife? He's like, yeah. I go, get over here. Yeah. And quickly, me, Max, and Rhea then did a video. Yeah. <laughs> get over here. <laughs> <laughs> What a savage! So but now, yeah, we went there, and then we uh, we talked to her, and then uh, we did a little video, and then that continued on Twitter. There was a lot of you. Re- we were like in a race to tweet these photos or Instagram these photos out quickly enough. So there was a lot of a repetition with our stuff because <laughs> I think I provided most of the photos, and then you retweeted and posted them somewhere. And the one that got the most traffic was uh, Kim Wexler because she responded, and the Better Call Saul uh, viewers responded in tow, and uh, it was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing. It was a nice bow on the evening. I think yeah. we did very well. I, I think it was great. There's nobody better to party with than Max Bredos, Critics' Choice Awards. If you need somebody who is fearless, who is willing to infiltrate, Max is your man. Check out Max yeah. and Herc is the name of the podcast. It's on Apple Podcasts. It is a great listen. In fact, there's a Toronto FC one I have to listen to. You just posted this on Saturday. About Josie, Josie, Altador, Josie yeah. Altador. Yeah, I can't wait to listen to this. Yeah. Altador hinting at and, Toronto exit. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He did. And by the way, I will also throw in free of charge. If I, if you, if I accompany you to an award show, I will mix champagne, wine, and scotch just for you, like I did with Adnan. <laughs> and <laughs> As we raced, we raced through to meet Ben at dinner in Santa Monica and had a lovely uh, whatever fish that was. It was a, it was a good evening. It was a good piece of salmon. Definitely, uh, definitely adventurous post show as well. Max, you're the best. <laughs> Appreciate it, buddy. Good stuff. See ya, and then see ya, Dan. All right. A pleasure always to bring in Claire Atkins. You can find her on Instagram and Twitter as well. We discussed earlier 
potential segment title ideas for Claire, who has quickly become a mainstay here in Cinephile. I had said Claire's Corner, and Dan immediately said, well, can we say her last name? I'm like, yeah, Atkins. So he goes, Atkins died. I go, she must hear that every day. It was a life. working title. I I, yeah. I was going to think of something along the lines of Di- Atkins diet. It, it's very. There's a carb reference in there somewhere. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I, was, but, I was getting there. It was but, working. But the point is, Claire has one, which I think is actually a really good title. When I was a weather girl in college, I had a segment called Up in the Air with Claire. <laughs> Love up in the air, by the way. Clooney. And, oh, Woo! and great well, film. Vera Farmiga, and, and Anna my Kendrick. Doppel, my doppelganger Anna Kendrick. is Anna Kendrick. Yeah, Claire's so, going to have an Anna Kendrick thing going on, so I think this is a good call. I'm in. My, when Ryan Leaf was here making the rounds, I was sitting in the green room, and Ryan Leaf turned around and goes, you look just like Anna Kendrick. And so, you know, my claim to fame. So. I love it. I love it. Um, what do you have? So you, you <laughs> I said, whatever you want to watch, let me know. And you said, yeah, I'm all over these documentaries, which I embarrassingly did not know about. But now I'm aware. Firefest, give it to us. Yeah, I am a little embarrassed. I realize our Twitter feeds are vastly different because this was my entire Twitter feed all weekend. And it might be because it was a long weekend and up here in New England, it was negative one degree. So it was a perfect time to stay inside and watch movies, whatever. Yeah. And so Netflix and Hulu released in the same week a documentary about the fire festivals of 2017. And for those of you that don't know what the Fire Festival was, it was an exclusive music resort on a private island in the Bahamas. It was a brainchild of Billy McFarland, who was a 20-something New York City tech bro, and the rapper Ja Rule. You might not have heard of him in a long time, yeah. but uh, he's made quite an appearance. Him, him and Ashanti week. back in the day. Totally. So six months before the festival, a trailer was released online, and it featured all these Instagram models and dolphins and yachts, and it blew up. It appeared in my Twitter feed, my Instagram feed, and people started to become interested thinking, oh, this is Coachella, you know, in the Bahamas. I want to go to this. So if you're trying to put on a music festival in six months, it's just impossible. You can't do it. Mm-hmm. But this guy, Billy, really thought, I-, I can do anything. I'm on top of the world. I've got great people behind me. I've got Blink-182. I've got Migos. I've got all these great acts. And, and this is going to be, everyone's going to want to come to this. So both of these documentaries take on through a lot of exclusive footage, what those six months were like, leading up to what was a complete disaster. If you followed the adventure on Twitter, you know, the infamous photo is a packed lunch of a two slices of bread with a slice of cheese on it. And they said, this is what they're feeding us here. So, you know, it was fun to follow along, but you really see how many people along the way were really devastated by this from people in the Bahamas to people in New York who invested so the big question is, which one do you want to watch if yeah. you don't have the time like I did to watch both? My recommendation would be to watch the Hulu version. I think it does a better – I know. Stanzik's looking at me. You might have to go out there and borrow a Hulu <laughs> Prime account or whatever because, you know, we as millennials, we share our passwords. So find a friend that has a Hulu account. It's way more – cohesive it's a to b it it explains who billy is and how he became important in this and it shows you just the whole story and how instagram influencers are a real incredible part of of my generation and how i mean it sounds stupid how influencers influence but but truly they do so it just i just think it's more cohesive i also think the netflix version was produced by the media group that was supposed to promote the festival. So it feels like it has a little bit more of an agenda. So that kind of threw me off. And in the Hulu version, you actually get interviews with Billy himself. So that's pretty remarkable to see this guy who, I'm not going to give you a spoiler alert, who's, who's clearly in trouble for this, and him trying to explain his thought behind it and why he doesn't think he's at fault. And it was pretty remarkable. So, it, you know, if you're bored... And you don't want to watch another screener and you're not trying to go into a, you know, a deep movie dive. This is a, a genuine hour and a half that you're going to walk away being like, that is unbelievable that nobody stopped that. Up in the air with Claire. Dan, your reaction? Because you're aware of the story as well. I mean, I watched the Netflix one, so I was disappointed to hear that you think the Hulu one is better, especially because I don't have a Hulu account. Just email me later. That's cool. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, but that is what I had heard is that the best part of the Hulu one was that they actually get the interview with this guy, Billy. Um, I don't know if anyone has seen Ja Rule on Twitter. He tweeted something the other day of, like, people watch a documentary and think they know everything. In one of the documentaries, he essentially says, this isn't fraud. It was false advertising. And it was fraud. Fact. And, 
you also think when you have a celebrity, and I don't know, do we? I guess we consider Ja Rule a celebrity, yeah. when they're attached to things like this, that they're not involved, they're just a name. The reality was he was making multiple trips to the Bahamas. He's looking at the venues himself. He's helping book the models. He's helping put this together. And the fact that he's in the post meetings about how it didn't work, you really see how involved he was. I, that was, that was the biggest surprise to me. It's an easy watch too, cause you, you don't feel too bad for the people that got screwed over, cause it's all these rich uppity kids that had the money to go and the time to go and all these influencers on Instagram. The only people you really end up feeling bad for are like the people in the Bahamas. Yes. That didn't get paid for any of their work, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, right. but it's, it's, it's almost like I, I remember following the story as it happened and it didn't bother me as much because the people that were getting screwed over were these very it was like the wealthy kids were stuck on an island in the bahamas and didn't have their private jet to fly them home yeah it was lord of the flies for the instagram generation right yeah so it was fun to watch from afar but you you it is remarkable that nobody stopped it along the way i mean you're just waiting for when's somebody gonna pull the plug on this but lord of the flies character of piggy Tough end there. The favorite, uh, congratulations, by the way, best picture, best director, best screenplay, best actress, two best supporting actresses. Unbelievable. Leading with the nominations, that and Romo. Yeah. No, I'm very excited about it. I'm not so sure I would give it best picture. I'm still... Your fiance, Dan, tweeted that this morning. Yeah, he did. I mean, obviously, I would get Olivia Colman best actress, but uh, it's. I'm still undecided there. I, I... I need to go back and really think about what I saw. I finally saw Green Book. Yeah. Um, And... Oh boy! I mean, it is made. It, it's it's a good watch. I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. A lot more than I wanted to like it. Nice. But it is such a clean, full circle, happy go lucky, campy feel. Yeah. That, and, and of course, reading now, kind of the backstory yeah. that sours it a little bit for me. So I can't fully hop on board quite yet. But it was. A, I mean, it was a really good watch. Just wait till it wins Best Picture. I don't. I don't think I'd be disappointed with that. I think I was. I was having this conversation with my mom recently about the whole family went to see shape of water last year Mm. and i'm thinking okay this is going to be best picture but you can't tell me that shape of water is for everyone i mean that that is very exclusive exactly and so when that one best picture you know there are people that that's feel excluded and go look the oscars aren't for me these aren't my type of movies green book i can get behind as something that's really hard to hate you know it's really inclusive yeah, 7,900 members of the Academy, and they've obviously done a better job of getting more women, more minorities, but th- you're right. That is very much an old-school Academy audience. Like, Jay Billis said to me, that's the best movie I've seen in years. I'm like, yeah, I could see Jay Billis saying that. Trey Wingo loved it. Um, Dan Shulman loved it. I'm like, white men in their 50s. Like, that movie's awesome. I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. I-, I like it a lot. This too. is the AARP crowd, no no question. No question. All right, up in the air with Claire. Thank you. Thank you. He's just an average man with an average, average life. life. And his reviews dictate that. Oh, right up my alley. First and foremost, playing to my strengths. Dan Stanzik is. I thought it was a little, little much. Every man. All right, been a bit of an absence here on Every Man. What are you coming in hot with? Your first one of. First one of the new year. I love how earlier in this pod we were like, we're never going over an hour again. This is definitely going to be over an hour. Just for the record. Okay, from now on, we're we're tightening it up. After this one, we'll tighten it up. We just got told today to tighten it up. Correct. We'll tighten it up. Yeah. Going forward, mm-hmm. the world will break your heart 10 ways to Sunday. That's guaranteed. I can't begin to explain that or the craziness inside myself and everyone else. But guess what? Sunday is my favorite day again. Silver Linings Playbook, <laughs> yes. a 2012 film written and directed by David O. Russell that stars Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence, Robert De Niro, Jackie Weaver, and Chris Tucker. Cooper plays a previously undiagnosed bipolar man who moves back in with his parents after a court-ordered eight-month stay at a mental institution. He is optimistic about reclaiming the life he knew before he was institutionalized and desperately tries to convince himself and anyone around him that he's doing great. This is what I learned at the hospital, he says. You have to do everything you can. You have to work your hardest. And if you do, if you stay positive, you have a shot at a silver lining. A little on the nose, but his character's reacclimation into society isn't exactly smooth. He has violent episodes in the middle of the night, one time throwing a book through an attic window because he's bothered by the ending, another time waking up the entire neighborhood because he can't find his wedding video, and he has multiple run-ins with a police officer after violating a restraining order. Cooper's therapist tells him that he needs a strategy, or a playbook, if you will, to deal with his turbulent mood swings. He ultimately finds it in Jennifer Lawrence, who is struggling with her own mental illness. 
There's a great scene in a diner where Lawrence's character realizes that Cooper is put off by the idea of equating their situations. You think I'm crazier than you, she tells him. She eventually leverages her relationship with Cooper's estranged wife to get him to agree to train and perform a dance routine with her. The only problem is that the commitment takes Cooper away from his obsessive compulsive father, a sports bookie played by De Niro, who is convinced that Cooper provides the right juju for his beloved Philadelphia Eagles. Silver Linings Playbook was nominated for eight Oscars, all four acting categories, Best Picture, Best Director, Adapted Screenplay, and Editing. Jennifer Lawrence, who undoubtedly won the movie, picked up the only win. Friend of the podcast, Robert De Niro, and I can't believe I get to say that, but friend of the podcast, Robert De Niro, had no business getting nominated for Best Supporting Actor. There is a terrible scene in the attic where he blames himself for Cooper's illness, which probably got him the nomination. Jackie Weaver is sweet, and although she was making crabby snacks and homemades, I didn't find her to be too compelling on the rewatch. Chris Tucker, though, in his first non-rush hour role since Jackie Brown, is excellent as Cooper's friend (laughs) from the mental institution. Silver Linings Playbook is a heartfelt, uplifting tale about two people thrown off kilter by traumatic events who rely on each other to regain normalcy in a crazy world. I give it the full four stars because it's Excelsior. Well done, man. I like it. It's a, I remember seeing the trailer and the Ernest Hemingway stuff, and I'm like, ah, this might be a little bit cheesy. But it's it's a sweet movie that I think is genuine and heartfelt. And we got a six or we got a four, where the hell they yell. What's the what's the dance score they get? Is it a four or five? Five, five, yeah. Like that five. just is such a funny, endearing scene. Like I said, really well acted. Um De Niro has talked a little bit about the fact that he does have a son who um is autistic and so you know that scene, that bedroom scene, he was really emotional talking about it. That's a rare example, I think, of De Niro not just tapping into greatness as an actor, he's actually relating to something very personal to him. So Cooper's obviously great. Your girl Jennifer Lawrence. Good Philly movie, good a lot of running in the movie. You know, I'm a big runner. So yeah. and a lot of scenes like in the middle of the street. Yeah. Like all throughout, and a lot of the, a lot of it's running, obviously. I picture right now, garbage bag on, just I, running, you're right. That is my go-to, and I'm, I've probably told you this before, my go-to Halloween costume. If I can't think of anything else for Halloween, sweatpants, sweatshirt, garbage bag. <laughs> if you find a football, good for you. <laughs> I'm and aping. if people know who you are, then yeah. you're like, oh, I'm going to like this person. Like, if you show up to a Halloween party, I don't know if you're going to costume parties anymore these days. Yeah. If you showed up wearing that and someone knew what you were, yes. you'd know that you would like them. If they asked you what you were, you'd be like, screw that person. I don't want to talk to them. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a dead giveaway that, all right, this person's cool. Passport, your thoughts? Silver Lines Playbook? Love it. <laughs> Apparently, I'm a, I'm a rambler, so I'm just going to keep my <laughs> answer short and concise from now on. I knew, I knew Ricky was going to take the criticism to heart. Uh, thanks so much for listening to Cinephile. We'll be back next time. We are hoping, fingers crossed, to get Ray Seahorn. We've been exchanging emails. Uh, her husband and I are texting, so I don't, I don't see any reason why they're not going to do it. So Ray is going to be here. We're going to talk better. Call Saul. Also watch the first season of Barry, uh, Rick's uh, recommendation. Trying to get through Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. That may be something good with Claire. But, yeah, we'll do lots of that kind of stuff coming up. Thanks, as always, for listening. Really appreciate it. Subscribe, rate, review, and we'll see you next time at the movies. Don't miss out on the next episode of Cinephile. Subscribe to the Adnan Verk Movie Podcast by clicking the Listen tab in the ESPN app.